episode of Good Morning Camera a little bit late, and that is because there have been a ton of new announcements. And by ton, I mean really three. Three brand <laughs> three new huge wireless ones. cameras. I would say important cameras for the market and their respective audiences. Mm-hmm. Anthony, are you excited for this this episode? Are you excited? Yeah, we definitely needed the time to just discuss these three cameras because there's so much. Uh, and you want to start with Canon? Let's start that, with it. We had new announcements from the Fujifilm camp. <laughs> there's been a ton of stuff there. But let's start with Canon because they announced their stuff first. That's just the order we're going to go in. They announced a brand new Canon EOS R10 and EOS R7. New additions to their RF mount system these two cameras being APS-C sensors. So let's start with the R10. When you're looking at this camera, it comes in at, for the body alone, about 1280 Canadian Mm -hmm. for this Mm -hmm. camera. Looking at this, what stands out to you? Um, Well, I think this is uh, just a camera that Canon needed in their lineup because let's be real, their lenses are are up there in price and they need uh, an affordable body that they can pair. Now, they do have the RP, which is a crazy deal right now. It's come down quite a bit, but it's not like the speed demon that these cameras might actually be. So we're looking at a 24 megapixel uh, sensor. Uh, This is APS-C size sensor as well. Uh, It does give you the option for 4K 60p. And now I read that it has a 1.8 times crop uh, in 4K 60, which is very annoying. I do not like when they do that at all. But they did remove the record limit on this. And this is huge uh, for people who are looking to get a multicam setup uh, and, you know, not spend a ton of money on the body, but then have multiple cameras for the setup and then do longer format content like podcasting, I was thinking. So uh, I think this is going to be great. Both uh, these cameras actually shoot 15 frames per second in the mechanical shutter. Now, I think the, what was it, the R10... It uh, will stop out at 23 frames per second in electronic uh, shutter. So that's not bad. But uh, I mean, when we're talking this kind of price point, like I think this is a solid little deal for for this camera. What do you think? Looking at this, I got to agree that it was much needed in their system. And while they had the RP, you know, Mm -hmm. when you factor in the cost of lenses and and that the RP might not be as, as, to use the words you use, speed demon, um, it, it's great that they're finally addressing this gap in their lineup. So what you have here, between the 24 megapixel sensor, their Digic-X processor, and the autofocus capabilities, and now the video, whether it's mm-hmm. 4K 60, and I think a lot of people, 4K 24 or 30 is, is plenty good enough. Yeah, This is just a great addition where a lot of people can come in, have something that can be their whether it's their family camera, their travel yeah. camera, or their creator camera, where they can use it you know, as a webcam at home and then take it on their trips as well. It's great yeah. to see this solution. Full disclosure, I have not gone hands-on with this camera. And when, I, when that happens, I, I reserve any like hard criticisms. I'd like to test mm-hmm. them out for myself. But looking at this, it's nice to see. They also announced some new EFS lenses, so more affordable options for this mount as well. Yeah. What I'm curious about is how this will perform for that everyday uh, vlogging travel solution, right? Like, what is it like when you take it into certain warmer environments and recording? And uh, what's Mm -hmm. it going to do if you are using it for extended periods of time? 
I, I'm curious to see what they brought to the table here. When it comes to image quality, when it comes to color, and when it comes to the files, like Canon has built a reputation on this, right? They knock it out of the park. 100%. So I think that's the exciting part here is that, you know, you're looking at under $1,500 Canadian, you can get a brand new Canon RF camera along with a lens and really capture some remarkable images, right? Content mm -hmm. that people often don't need to go back to a computer and edit and tweak as much. Now the yeah. data is there, the raw files are rich and you can go and, you know, bring the most out of them if you have to. But I think that's one of the appealing things is now you have this option where you can get a great result in camera. And, you know, there's a ton of get a great competition in that APS-C market. When you're looking at Sony, what they have to offer, what Fujifilm has to offer. So it's important for Canon to compete here. What's more interesting to me, and when I look at the R10, I see it, it's not quite entry level. Like it's, it's hard for me to say anything above a thousand bucks is entry level. Yeah. So it's it sits a small tier above that, right? Where it's slightly enthusiast. So it's for that person that, you know, you create a lot already. Maybe you're using a mobile device or maybe you have an old DSLR and you're looking for something that's a little bit more faster, a little bit quicker and, and just a future-proof your work a bit. I'm now looking at this in conjunction with the R7. That looks like a real competitor, right? That, mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a pretty quick pivot for the show, but... I would like to talk about this because the Canon EOS R7, you have here a body, it comes in at $2,000 Canadian for the body alone, a 32.5 megapixel sensor. So when you're looking at APS-C resolution and sensors, mm -hmm. it's up there. It's, it's above the average, right? It Where is, yeah. most of them are below that 30 megapixel mark. Again, 4K 60 video, you now have image stabilization that comes with this. You now have weather sealing that comes along with this. Um, really fast, 50 uh, frames per second mechanical shutter on this camera as well. You add to the fact that Canon historically really great autofocus where it's eye, face, and subject detection here. No record limit like you mentioned on the previous one. Mm -hmm. Dual UHS-2 SD card slots. And one thing I got to add here is oversampled HQ4K footage, meaning that they're taking this information from that sensor, about 7K worth of resolution, and bringing it down and oversampling it for 4K footage that theoretically should look crispier, a lot sharper, just, you know, especially if you're gonna take that footage and like stretch it and crop it and recompose, it's gonna look real, real good. So I guess my question to you is when you look at the R7, what it is on paper, do you believe Canon has brought enough to the table to compete with those top tier APS-C solutions on the market? Uh, yeah, tough question. Tough question to answer for sure. I, originally when I was thinking, you know, uh, about the R7 at that $2,000 price point, I thought there was solid value here. I could understand why somebody would definitely uh, dish out that kind of money for this type of camera. You got plenty of megapixels to work with. Uh, another feature that you didn't uh, mention was IBIS. And Canon IBIS is actually it's 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 very good right so um i could understand why you're paying that extra bit of of money for this particular camera i didn't even know that i didn't even see that point about uh the oversampled 4k and that alone is so huge because uh 
Yeah, I I love to get the best quality uh, in those lower resolutions that I can, right? So if I could shoot a high, high quality 1080p footage, uh, I would like to do that. Uh, Or if I, you know, I don't always need to go 6K. Uh, And like I said, with these cameras, these are cameras that are fairly affordable where you might be able to get multiple if you're looking for that multi-camera setup. And sometimes I feel like people blow their budget on like, one R5 when really what they need is maybe two, three uh, lower end cameras. And this is where I think that you should be looking if you're looking in that multicam setup because, you know, my A camera is an X-T3. Uh, it's not a super expensive camera anymore, right? And uh, the quality that you get from these cameras are fantastic in a controlled environment. So I think this is perfect and exactly what Canon needed. I'm reminiscing over the 70D and 80D, and this is exactly like it's filling the gap for this mirrorless world that Canon has kind of entered into, and I I think it's great. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm looking forward to testing out is, like you mentioned and alluded to, is that image stabilization, because I believe from this, they're marketing a little over seven stops, but when they have a lens that has you know, optical image stabilization built into the lens or image stabilization built into the lens that it should work in conjunction and, and possibly get you even more. So you got to think when someone has the ability to put on, you know, some of their uh, super telephoto, those 600, north of 600 millimeter lenses yeah. on that RF mount to something like this and you're a burger, like that is going to be clutch. And now you have an affordable body that isn't extremely heavy, that the crop factor actually works to your benefit where if you're putting on a super zoom lens, you're getting, you know, about 60% more reach and you know, the, the, this, uh, not widening the opposite, the shortening, (laughs) the, the, the the smallening, the the compressed, I will make up words on this podcast (laughs) folks, um, of that aperture where it's tightening. That's not going to be a, problem necessarily if you're a birder out in broad daylight right and and, yeah. and the sun is signing down so that is something that i'm looking forward to testing i think the fact that it has the dual card slots the weather ceiling like this makes it more of a robust tool for creators that are on the go if you're spending a lot of time and creating in in, in tricky situations if you're ca- capturing i'm using this as an example because it happened to me recently but backstage of a concert where you know, there is humidity and maybe even water being thrown around and that kind of stuff, it makes for a powerful solution. Now, add to that Canon sensor and their autofocus. This makes for a compelling tool. It looks like it's sort of a replacement to the Canon 90D in their lineup, um, but it definitely is sort of that upper tier of AP. Like, it feels like their pro APS-C solution. This is not something that everyone is going to go after. This is, again... I, I wouldn't say it's a niche product, uh, but maybe just a little bit wider than that. Where I, I don't imagine this being something that necessarily everyone that's graduating from a mobile device is going to look to. This mm-hmm. might be for someone that is really looking to upgrade their existing DSLR or mirrorless solution, and they are regularly capturing content. Like if you're if you're capturing yeah. content or creating content on a weekly a bi-weekly basis, then you can justify a purchase of this nature and investing in something like this. 100%. You, do you see this as something that could compete with those Fuji X-T4s, those Sony A6700? Like, do you see this as a match 
for those? Is there something here that you, or do you feel like that there's something here that's missing? Like Canon has announced this and there's one critical thing missing. Well, well I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts yeah. on that. hundred um, percent. Well, the thing with Fujifilm is they make great cameras if you're shooting both photo and video. Uh, and I don't think this camera will match the quality that the X-T4 has in terms of video. Fuji does definitely some magic and like the, the stops of dynamic range that they get in, they include in those cameras is fantastic. Um, I think if you're a hybrid shooter, then you definitely should be looking at uh, something other than, you know, uh, the Canon cameras because the megabits per second uh, in the Canon cameras that are like in the mid to entry level uh, are not necessarily the highest uh, quality there. Uh, and although this camera does have some interesting specs like IBIS, uh, I think this is a camera that is reserved for, like you said, somebody who is in the Canon world already, has maybe a few lenses that they don't want to lose, uh, maybe gets the adapter uh, because they were shooting EF glass and want to move over to RF glass. I was thinking like this is a camera for somebody who got gifted like a Rebel when they were like younger and now they're like really into photography uh and want to take it up a notch and i don't think that this is going to compete with some of the higher end like the or i guess it's not even really higher end it's just you know some some are just better quality hybrid cameras um whereas this one is going to very much excel in photography uh and we'll have to see what the video really looks like because yeah, I just I I'm never super impressed with the mid to low end cameras from Canon in terms of video. So, um we'll have to find out. Honest honest feedback from Anthony. <laughs> I'm actually going to go the opposite direction. I and even though I have no hands on yet, so I'm I'm really <laughs> setting myself up for failure <laughs> yeah. if I'm let down. I think that this will be uh, a very strong competitor. I don't know if I don't think it's going to be a strong competitor to what I'm about to talk about our next topic <laughs> but looking at sort of that that Fujifilm X-T4 that high-end Sony A6000 series cameras mm-hmm. I think that this will be a strong competitor because when it comes to Canon I, I think they prioritize the features that most people will appreciate and they give you yeah. a little bit more headroom than that so if I'm looking at sort of the color science the file format the video quality, not necessarily having every single option, but being able to have the sort of 24, 30, 60 options. And, you know, the fact that this also has the mic and headphone jack, as well as HDMI and USB-C. Like, I, I think this will be a strong competitor. I will go out and say, I will venture to argue, I think this is going to be hard to find on store shelves. I feel like there's yeah. an appetite for this kind of camera and, you know, the, there's a the lot price, of people that have been waiting. The been price waiting. is right. The price is right, a hundred percent. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, there's value here. But uh, I, I'm. Let's see where the Fuji XT4 goes after this next topic that, that we're, we're going <laughs> mean, to discuss. Is a, listen, this is a great part of the show, is because uh, me and Anthony, Anthony and I, we 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 have differing opinions, and we let the market speak. We let you speak. Okay, so I mean, definitely when we're talking about our holiday episodes, we can, we can always revisit this and see uh, how it actually transpired and how these cameras perform. So we're definitely yeah. excited to test this out and get some hands-on time. But enough, enough of Canon. 
All right, enough free airtime for Canon. <laughs> we got to talk about Fujifilm, a camera that I did have time to test drive. And because it happened to be a Fuji camera, you know that it wasn't just for Henry's. Like on the weekends and the evenings, every <laughs> minute I could squeeze out, I was using this camera, testing this camera. So Anthony, if you don't mind, can, can I sort of like give the sort of Cole's notes here? And, and Please then do. we can kind of like go back and forth on this. Yeah. The, the X-H2S. Long time. People have been waiting a successor to that X-H line. And what you have here is a DSLR-style camera. It's a departure from Fujifilm's retro styling camera. It's a DSLR-style. It has a mode dial on it. It's a little bit smaller than their X-H1, a little bit bigger than X-S10, but it's a nice footprint. It doesn't feel overwhelming, but there is a nice grip to this thing. When you look at the top, it has a sub-LCD dial similar to their GFX camera where you can see the settings at a glance. You can see your storage and battery capacity even when the camera is off. The viewfinder on this thing has been upgraded to 5.76 million dots on an OLED viewfinder and up to 120 frames per second refresh rate. So this now matches those flagship cameras in the market where it's almost like looking through this hyper-real window. The LCD on the back, 1.62 million dots, so not crazy resolution. It's sort of the market average. What I appreciated here using it, though, is that it's a much more sturdier LCD display when it turns out and flips around. It mm. is a flip-around display. It doesn't tilt up like the S1H does. Um, yeah. But using this thing, let's, let's talk about some exciting stuff. This is a new 26-megapixel stacked backside illuminated CMOS sensor in the X-Trans array. And what mm -hmm. that means is that the readout speeds are incredibly fast, especially for photography, for video, you're gonna get much less rolling shutter on this thing. It also, because of that stacked array, it has a faster readout, so you have much better autofocus performance. They're pairing this new sensor, this fifth generation sensor, with the fifth generation processor. And you know, autofocus has been a point of contention with Fujifilm. Some people have more success than others, but this, <laughs> in my testing, is up there. I gotta spend more time with it, but it is up there. I didn't feel like it was worse than anything else in terms of like the Canons and Sonys of the world. So mm -hmm. that's just my experience so far across tons of environments. You can shoot up to 40 frames per second in your photography mode. The video here, you can shoot 6.2K full open gate, the entire sensor in a three by two aspect ratio in ProRes mm -hmm. or H.265, 10-bit, 422. And for the people that are not video nerds, what this means is that you have a camera that can internally record at one of the most highest densities when it comes to color information and luminance information, where historically, you would often need an external recorder to get all that information. You can do this internally now. Beyond that, beyond that, you can also plug in an external recorder to record raw video if you really want to be able to control ISO white balance after the fact. That's very exciting here as well. And mm -hmm. something that might seem small for some people, but big for me, full-size HDMI port now. There's no <laughs> flimsy, breakable micro mm -hmm. HDMI. There is now two card slots. One is SD, one is CF Express. So you can put in a CF Express Type B card for higher bitrate recording. And you'll need this if you're doing ProRes or high bitrate H.265 files. 
Yeah. I think that's everything I want to lead with. Of course, there's more to talk about. <laughs> so, Anthony, let me let me just let you ask the questions. I mean, I've been using this all over the place, whether it was indoors, outdoors, the zoo, a real wedding, a fake wedding, uh, a, a backstage at a concert. Like, we just use it all over the place, anywhere I could get a chance. <laughs> what questions do you have as, you know, an enthusiast, as a creator, and as, you know, someone that has shot on Fuji? Well, the hot ticket question that I'm just dying to ask you is we both shoot Fuji X-T4. Um, and is this a worthy upgrade if you already own an X-T4? That's that's really it. That's what I want to know, Gadget. All right. Very <laughs> simple. I, I think it comes down to how often and what you capture. If you are regularly capturing video and you are shooting quite often, you know, bi-weekly, I think you would get a lot of value from upgrading to a camera like this. I think the, even especially if you look at trading in your X-T4, you know, things that Henry's offers, trading in your mm -hmm. X-T4 and, and switching out for an X-H2S, I think you're going to see that value. When it comes to autofocus, when it comes to the ability to record in more formats and higher bitrate formats internally, uh, when it comes to just the new sensor having way more dynamic range, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this on calibration charts. I'm just using it as a professional user. So when I bring the footage in and I'm starting to color correct and color grade and I'm looking at different skin tones and how much latitude I have, there's just more information to work with here. So yeah. if you look at the volume of your work and, and you're either a semi-pro or pro, I think it is worth, I believe, I believe even with my time, with a pre-production sample, it will be worth the upgrade. Now, if you are primarily on the photo side, there are still improvements here because it's faster, better autofocus and all those kinds of things. But I think the need might not be as much. It will come down to sort of what environment you find yourself in. If you are gravitating to the wildlife sports and again, shooting quite a bit, shooting professionally, maybe selling your work or you know, you're sending your work through a newswire, there's a reason to upgrade. However, if you are more of a casual enthusiast, I don't believe it's going to be that immediate upgrade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking about. I was like, okay, maybe I trade in the X-T4 and, and go up to the X-H2S. Um, that's like the, the thing that's really interesting me is, is the open gate recording um, because I don't always want to shoot vertical video for social media and then go shoot something else for YouTube. That's always like super annoying. You always kind of have to choose because you do lose a lot when you crop like that, like 16 by nine video. Right. So I think that's super interesting. Uh, they also changed the, they made some improvements in terms of the rolling shutter. And I think Sony is probably like the worst for rolling shutter, um, in their like 6,000 series cameras. It's almost like, it's almost like it makes you nauseous almost to like watch some of those footages, uh, some of the footage from a Sony APS-C size, uh, sensor. Right. So I think this is a fantastic thing in my notes. I put headphone jack is back. That's something that you didn't talk about and i just put lol <laughs> like why is that why was that ever gone but it is back and i think that's so important and of course you said full-size hdmi port oh that's just, we've been asking for this for a long time yeah. and i think this is a this is a such an interesting camera and people are already saying right now online uh, i think it was gerald undone might have said that this was the best um 
photo and video camera he th- he thinks he ever reviewed, which is like that's huge, right? Like, uh, so I think this might be actually the best APS-C camera on the market right now. Yeah, I right now it's hard for me to put up a strong argument against it. But again, you know me, like I, I want to wait for production units and I want to use yeah. it for a few months and put a lot more One, reps on it. But it, it's it's impressive. It seems like Fujifilm really looked at all the criticism and tried to address every single thing. There are a few minor things that like kind of stuck out to me, but I think they might be more uh, niche concerns that I might have as a personally as a creator on this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I can't just always say nice things because, you know, I looked at <laughs> Fujifilm's presentation of this and I, 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 man, that was, that was an interesting presentation. I feel like it could have been a tighter presentation, but this is where there's always a difference between companies and messaging and, and it makes the difference because especially when there's confusion and there, when there's leaks and there's rumors and all this kind of stuff, yeah. it's almost up for interpretation and it can sort of steal the thunder from an otherwise exciting product. So they announced the cooling fan that is an optional purchase with this camera. Mm-hmm. In my experience, I, what I set out to do was like, I'm going to use this camera how I would use it in crazy situations and then find out if there was ever a situation where the camera gave me a thermal warning and I would need to put on the cooling fan. So whether it was an incredibly hot day at the zoo, whether it was in the office of mine, which can get pretty warm uh, because we turned the AC off when we're recording voiceovers for, you know, 45 to, to, to 70 minutes at a time. Whether it was backstage at a concert where it was incredibly humid and we're recording these extended 6K or 4K 120p -hmm. clips, I never had a situation where the camera got so hot that it gave me a thermal warning, let alone I needed to use the cooling fan. So Mm -hmm. the announcement comes out, there's all these videos, all these kinds of things, and there's people that never went hands-on with the camera that are interpreting these things that are saying, oh, what a you know, having that clickbait sort of opinion on it. And look, (laughs) I don't work for Fujifilm. I I don't go to bed worrying about these things, but it's just an unfortunate thing to see because if if they approach this space like Panasonic, who I give a lot of credit for because when it comes to their announcements, they're so forthcoming with specs and data and, and just arming creators with the information. They will tell you, if you want to record video, this is the best format to do it in. These are the best ISOs to do it in. This is how the noise level responds if you go beyond this threshold. These are mm-hmm. the exact limits. This is the temperature in which you might need. Like, they give you <laughs> everything so that there is nothing left to guesswork. Meanwhile, Fujifilm, a company that I am personally heavily invested in and you know a company that has helped me grow as a creator i'm looking at this thing and it's just it's just unfortunate to see because what i would love them to do is announce these things and be a little bit more liberal when it comes to what are the best settings for recording what are the best isos to be at give us more direction around how to get the best color and dynamic range in your footage Mm -hmm publicly not privately just to you know people that are reviewing the camera but publicly talk about hey these are the specific recording limits that we found that if you're doing it at this temperature you have infinite recording if you are 40 degrees in the desert deserts of morocco (laughs) you're probably going to want a cooling fan you know like 
be clear with this <laughs> so yeah. that, you know, you're not leaving things up for guesswork. So, you know, my, my rant is done, Anthony. I, I, that's, that's sort of my sort of like last thing that I wish they can do just to take it across the goal line <laughs> so that when they have these announcements, it's clear for everyone involved. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, agree because uh, I was looking at like, what is the best quality of 1080p footage that you can get from this? And I saw somebody put it in like 50 megabits per second, uh, 1080p, and I was just like, is that it? But like, can you actually change the megabits per second even like throughout the different resolutions? It was yeah, that an so there's, option? There's a lot of settings. And, you know, this, the ceiling here is being able to record up to 720 uh, megabits per second in H.265. Looking at their spec sheet, their data sheet, the ProRes format actually goes beyond this in terms of bitrate. And ProRes files are generally bigger files, but they're easier to sort of manage because there is no compression going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can, like, their 4K footage is all oversampled. Uh, 4K 120p is still in the slow mo mode. It's in the high speed mode, I should say. Um, so it's not oversampled as much. So there is a bit of a loss in quality between. 4K 60, 4K 120, but it's still much better than what 4K 120 would be on a lot of other products. One last question on the Fuji X-H2S before we move on. Um, I know we're pushing time here, but this is one last question. Do you think $3,000 price point, uh, this is going to be a little bit over $3,000 Canadian, right? I think it's on our website $32.99, if, if I'm correct there. So do you think like... That's a huge jump in comparison to like previous models. Do you think that's justified? At $3,200, this is a camera that I think professionals and the enthusiast semi-professionals will derive a lot of value from. A lot of value from. Mm -hmm. um, I think especially on the video side, you know, when I look at sort of my workflow, where I'm constantly creating, especially, you know, whether it's for Henry's, for YouTube, for clients, for, for travel, whatever it may be, that $3,200 is easy to digest because there are real world benefits in terms of how easy it is now to record, how more accessible a lot of these pro features are like OpenGate recording and ProRes, how much better the quality is in terms of the dynamic range and what you can do with it. Um, I don't think, think that's a big investment for the pro. When I look at more of the average Fujifilm consumer who, you know, outside of Instax, I should say, that, you know, are buying in at a much lower price, right? They're buying mm -hmm. in at, you know, closer to $1,000. This is great technology. It's not something that's even in their radar. And I think yeah. what they should be excited for is that looking at, like, I think there's excitement across the board because if you are someone that's not in the market for $3,200, I think when you look at the sensor that they announce and the processor that they announce and looking at their track record, you can think, okay, at some point, these might trickle down into other products, right? So that's sort of where I think, hey, leave this to the pros. This is something that is not affordable for most consumers. But if you yeah. are a professional, you will look at this thing and you will probably not blink an eye. Because, again, comparing it to the Sony A7IVs on the market, comparing it to the, the Canon uh, R6s on the market, um, this is something that is, you know, matches in many qualities, beats it in several others, and truly innovates in a whole other subset as well. So, 
Yeah, that's a that's another. Hey, hey, it's a, we it's have a first times. look on Henry's of the <laughs> XH2S. You can watch that. Enough of this free advertisement, Anthony from Fujifilm. Yeah. What's going let's on move, here? Let's let's move on to the most exciting part of the show. Our favorite that is part of the show. Our creator draft picks. Creator draft picks. This <laughs> is the part of the show. If you're not familiar, we suggest, we recommend, we talk about, we dialogue about things that we are using, that we have paid for, that we have invested in. These are not <laughs> sponsored by anyone. It's unsullied by sponsorships, as Ernie Johnson from TNT would say. <laughs> Anthony, I have a boring one, but I think it's it's an important one. So I will start off this. It is a visor clamp, a Mathalini visor clamp from Matthews. So let me say that again. It is a visor clamp by Matthews, the manufacturer, and they have it listed as a Mathalini clamp. It was previously called other names. Cardellini clamp. The rights <laughs> got switched around. In any case, if you want to buy one right now, it is called a Mathalini clamp. And what this clamp allows you to do, it comes in various lengths. So you're typically buying it based on what you want to hold. But it is a simple tool that will sit on a C-stand and hold a backdrop or a rod of any kind for that nature. Depending on how big it is, you will get a different length. I ended up getting, I think, the three-inch model, which ended up being fine for the backdrop that I have. This is something that no one really talks about. You just pick it up and you learn on set as you've been on set, whether it's for photo and video. But the amount of times that I've sort of whipped this out, put a backdrop on, started <laughs> shooting, and people, and my, whether it's assistants or new assistants or stylists, they look at it like, whoa, like that is just a very easy way to set up a quick backdrop. One C-stand, Mathalini clamp, backdrop goes up. There's no sort of like two stand system that you're jostling between. No, it's very simple, easy to do. So that's enough. I, I, I don't have to over explain <laughs> a clamp to you guys. If you are shooting portraits, if you are shooting headshots, you're often on the go, uh, add this to your kit. This in conjunction with a solid C-stand and a backdrop, you have something that'll fit in your car very easily that'll allow you to take great portraits wherever you go and have that security. And I, I should also say, uh, please invest in a good sandbag because the, <laughs> all these clamps and stands are great, but safety first, folks. Put a, a sandbag on your C-stand anytime you're using it. Enough of my pick. Anthony, what is your pick? Uh, sometimes it's just those simple tools, you know, that just get it done. Sometimes you need to clamp something to something else and that's that's all you need. <laughs> So my pick, okay, I'll paint a picture for you. Last night, it's 11.30 at night. I'm on YouTube and I'm saying to myself, okay, you know what, last video on the X-H2S and then you're going to bed. <laughs> and then I see Bo Burnham's YouTube channel uploaded the outtakes of his Netflix show, Inside. It's an hour long and I was just like, all right, buckle up. Like, this is a piece of content that immediately needs to be consumed because uh, Bo Burnham's Inside was actually one of my creator draft picks a while back, and you said, you know, you are you were loving it as well. Uh, the, the show on Netflix is called Inside. Uh, it was a creator draft pick of mine, and the outtakes are now on YouTube, and the outtakes are 
a movie in itself, okay? You see all these like hilarious fake YouTube ads that play throughout the video and you're like trying to like click off of them, but then you're realizing like, oh, it's it, this is part of the, the joke, but then you're reading the ad and like it's something like stupid and funny. Uh, <laughs> there are songs that were never put into the Netflix special that are included in this. There's also songs that were modified and then changed. And then you see the creative process, how he came from how he got from like an idea to what you saw on inside uh on netflix uh and it is just that was so cool on its own you see the behind the scenes stuff like you you literally see the transition from like the idea you know where he's going and you know where the end product is uh, and it's just like trying to make that gap right so this is something that, you know, if you were watching the show a while back and, you know, you heard us both rave about the the Inside by Bo Burnham on Netflix, then you have to go watch the outtakes. Uh, this has 3 million views and was posted on the 30th. Uh, it, it was it was number 12 been, on Trending. It's only been like not even three days yet. Not even three days. <laughs> yeah. It was number 12 on Trending last night. Uh, so, I mean, he's got to be stoked. 3 million views in... What, yeah two days holy smokes like this thing was awesome it was funny it was great you guys got to check it out <laughs> amazing amazing I, I i will echo that i've watched it i have laughed out loud and it is it just i mean the legend of bo burnham just continues to exactly grow. uh with all that said <laughs> thank you so much for listening i i hope you guys has I had as much fun listening as we did recording this episode. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show, share it with your camera enthusiasts and nerds alike. And if you are listening on iTunes, please do leave a review so more people can find the show. As always, his name's Anthony, my name's Gadget, and we'll see you next time.